Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that would never expand to Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and we are happy where we are. 30 teams only. We are, oh, okay. I thought you were just ruling out a future live event with the Salt Lake Bees. Why would you do that? I mean, Baltimore went so well. We have so many places. Who knows if, you, if you're if you a podcast listener in Utah, now you, we've already alienated you. Uh, we are going to get to talking about the possibility of expansion to Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, that's some news we got in the last few days. Of course, the Rays still haven't lost one of our favorite running bits of the season. Ha ha, the Rays are still winning. Oh, what a hilarious. Oh, no, seriously, they're still undefeated on April 14th. We are going to ask, is it time to panic for four uh, teams with varying levels of expectations? We'll hit some other news and notes. Of course, it's Friday, so it's time for Good, Bad, Ugla. And then at the end, I'm very excited for our first edition of the season of Why Haven't You Homered Yet? But Jake, as I mentioned, the theme of the season is that we get on these here microphones and we say, have the Rays lost? And the answer is, of course, no. A mop, a home mop at the trop, a trop mop against the Red Sox winning four straight taking the closing game yesterday by a score of 9 to 3. They are now 13 and 0. I believe it is the longest streak to start a season since the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers. They're only the third team in the modern era to begin the season on a 13 game win streak alongside the 1982 Atlanta Braves. It's a franchise record of wins in a row. All these different superlatives of how good the Rays are. And uh yeah, it's real. This is a very, very good baseball team. Now, my question, let's actually, let's get to that in a second. The, the other thing that is very interesting about this, I believe, is that the viewership numbers for the Rays on television are through the roof. Now, even though the attendance numbers for some of these games isn't exactly eye-popping, I went through and took a look at it. More people attended the uh, Rockies home game on Wednesday during the day than the Rays game last night. Now, we know that that is not the fault of the Rays fan base, that their stadium, one, sucks, and two, is located in a janky area, and three, is just not appealing for casuals to get to. But I do think it is notable that their viewership numbers are super up and potentially might lend some credence to the idea of them staying long-term. Do you think that like this is a Edgar Martinez double-in-the-corner level moment for keeping a team in a fan uh, a, a team in a city or is it not that important I mean I've never been as concerned about the Rays leaving the general Tampa area as I think we are about teams like Oakland and a lot of that is obvious I mean they <laughs> they keep winning they've right what you know five straight winning seasons they've you know 13 straight wins of course to start this year and I will and also say yeah. Their TV numbers are usually very good. Generally. TV numbers are usually really good. And also on the attendance, you know, they got 21,000 last night, 
which is it it was more you know than the previous two nights you know and on a Thursday night you know against Boston you would hope those would be some well attended games I think we'll start to see where they're at in a couple weeks their next home series um, a week from now uh, against the White Sox and that's a weekend we'll see what their record is after a little road trip but I I hope so you know the Rays have been in the World Series you know they've been I know that was 2020 but it's not like they haven't had great teams and so this is capturing the national attention in a way that the Rays arguably never have during the regular season. And that in and of itself is exciting because once you're reaching historic levels, like Sports Center is compelled to like spend legitimate time on it. And we talk about that as, as a joke and how much should we really care how much time Sports Center is, is covering baseball or certain baseball team. But like that does reflect what is being talked about. For, as I like to say, remember, that is what is on every television, right? That and Fox Sports and, and, and you know, a couple other channels, like that's on every television, every restaurant and every airport and every, like, that can influence what is in the national consciousness in sports. And the Rays winning 13 in a row to start the season is that. Now, if the Yankees had won 13 in a row to start the season, it would be a way <laughs> bigger deal, which is the type of thing that I think it's okay for Rays fans to feel slightly slighted about the maybe lack of national attention that they have received, even though they have received some. Mm-hmm. As far as the on-the-field stuff goes, like there's really not a whole lot to say. Like All the guys that we talked about on Monday and on Wednesday are just still really good and still hitting. And you know, yeah. like, I guess I mean, the, the big one is Taj Bradley came up and made his yep. debut and was pretty good. Uh, I would say Jeffrey Springs getting hurt on mm-hmm. Thursday night, last night, is certainly of some concern mm-hmm. to them, but they won the game anyway, and they have a crazy amount of pitching depth. So, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to add besides good players stay good. Yeah, I would say, and Rasmussen, who's been unbelievable in his first two starts, he goes tonight in Toronto. So that'll be a really big opportunity for him to kind of step up, especially if Springs is hurt. Well, we're going to talk about Wander all year long, but Brandon Lau is the one that stands out to me. I mean, he's up to five home runs now. and And again, like, this is someone sometimes, especially on you know less popular teams, injuries are not, they're just not even thought about. We're not even like, but Brandon Lau being out, like if he was on a bigger team last year, it would have been a massive deal that they didn't have Brandon Lau. And it clearly was a massive deal that they didn't have Brandon Lau. I mean, he's off to a, a historic start to his career from a power production standpoint from a second baseman. And he looks exactly like he did in, you know, in 21 when he had 39 home runs. Like that is the Brandon Lau that that they clearly missed. And if he's going to be that good, then yeah, this is going to be one of the better lineups in the league. And that's not something we fully anticipated and probably is on us for forgetting how good he was in the first place. How many games do they need to win in a row for like the president to say something, do you think? Oh my gosh. Um, I probably like to. Uh, I think it would need to break the actual streak, right? So twenty-three. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. I think I think that's when it would really be getting into. That said, I mean they're about to go to Toronto, then they're coming to Cincinnati. I'm excited to see them uh, stay if they can under, stay undefeated in the United States of America. Uh, but this is going to be very this. Yeah, I still think you need 20, 20, <laughs> 20 plus. How much has your perception or expectations? of the Rays this season changed over the last two weeks with this hot start? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think fairly significantly just because of like, can all of these hitters keep it up? Probably not. But when all of them are this good, 
I have a feeling a good portion of them are going to be a lot better than they were last year, whether that is Josh Lowe, whether that is, um, you know, obviously Brandon Lau was hurt, but Wander, right? This is just not the production they were getting from him last year. And <laughs> Luke Rayleigh <laughs> continues to be good. So it's really that catcher spot. I The catcher spot, now it doesn't really matter when everyone else is hitting, but that is still, that was one of my biggest questions coming into the year and that hasn't changed. So that's also kind of weird. Yeah. That the catching is still a, a strange uh, situation for them because Mejia has stunk and, and Bethancourt's been fine. I would say that heading into the year, the way I thought about this division was Toronto and New York on one side, Baltimore and Boston on the other, with the Rays kind of in between those two groups. And that has changed for me. That is an unfair reading of the division. Tampa obviously firmly belongs with Toronto and New York, if not above them at this point. Right? Mm -hmm. I think for me, I'm not comfortable definitively saying this team is better than the Blue Jays and the Yankees based upon a 13-game sample. But I just watching them, they're like, they don't belong on the same field as the Red Sox. And I think we just <laughs> right. learned that over four games. <laughs> yes. So as we mentioned, they're heading to Toronto uh, this weekend. Very excited for that series. Toronto buzzing. Their team's finally home. They've been playing really well. They've got Tonight, we've got Rasmussen against Barrios. Barrios is, of course, still looking like kind of a mess. Tomorrow, TBD for Tampa. But Sunday, clear your schedule. Alec Manoa versus Shane McClanahan will be delicious. So looking forward to all the games in that series. And yes, they'll uh, be in Cincinnati next week when I am looking forward to seeing them IRL. Uh, <laughs> if they're still undefeated when we talk on Monday, boy, oh boy, I will be very impressed. Let's break out the panic button. Hmm. It's never too early to freak out. If there is something I have learned from 27 years of being around fellow neurotic members of the Jewish community, Jordan, it's that panic is always warranted. Let's go through four teams who are off to slow starts and discuss whether or not it is time to sound the alarm and flee the fandom. Let's begin at Fenway Park, or should I say Fenway Stark, considering how bleak things look for the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Now, this team, you could argue how optimistic should we have been coming into the season. I think we were a little bit split on that. I believe I was cautiously optimistic that they could at least bounce back, be a team above 500. And I, I remember you saying this team might suck. Am I yeah. wrong about that? I said this team will suck. I took a yeah. hard under on the over under. Yeah. I got multiple messages from Red Sox fans who listen to the podcast saying, LOL, you suck. And then mm -hmm. a bunch more when the Red Sox walked off the Orioles on the second day of the year. Uh, mm -hmm. But this team might just kind of suck. Yeah. So what is going well for them? Well, they had the best player in baseball, and then the, he broke his wrist trying to field the ball in Adam Duvall. And that, I mean, that kind of set the tone for what we're going to be dealing with. Of course, they already dealt with injuries before the season even started when Trevor Story was out uh, in a way that we were not necessarily expecting. But the biggest concern is exactly what we thought, which is that the pitching is just is just doo-doo, right? I mean, like, Chris Sale looks completely... It's weird because at times he'll rip off a slider or he'll... Like, he's still throwing... Con and yet 
he's getting smacked, right? The fact he has 19 strikeouts in 12 innings and he's allowed <laughs> 16 runs kind of sums up what is now a very strange uh, chapter in Chris Sale's career where I guess he's healthy, but he's all over the place. I mean, his, his command is is horrific and just a tough watch right now. Not to mention, you know, Kluber, who <laughs> is just, you know, he's just kind of throwing it in there and that's not that's not going to get the job done. The fastball's down a couple ticks. The slider isn't as sharp as it was for sale. He's yeah. pitching like he's still going to win a Cy Young. And the stuff isn't playing that way. And so hitters are saying, sure, I'll get a load of this. He's still striking guys out because it's still really good stuff and a very unique arm angle and a unique approach, whatever. But because he hasn't adapted, his stuff is much more hittable. And so he's getting pummeled. Also, at the same time, like there were real concerns on offense too. Ravi Devers is the man. He has looked amazing, and I love him dearly. And now I just feel bad that he's stuck on this crappy team. Yoshida, who looks comfortable, he has seven walks and three strikeouts, but he's not exactly impacting the baseball. A bizarre 216, 356, uh, 324 line for Yoshida, which is like, I don't know. I, I He's not their biggest concern, right? Honestly, he's not. Um, no, but that was the biggest concern about him heading into the year was that this guy's plate discipline will, is going to be great and he'll probably mm-hmm. hit for average, but how much is he going to impact the baseball? And so far, not a whole lot. Yeah, but at the same time, he's not getting the, the score, and I don't think, because Kike has been awful on defense and at the plate, and Cassis isn't exactly hitting yet, and Christian Arroyo has... <laughs> Made people miss Trevor's story like they never thought they could miss Trevor's story. Obviously, it's about Xander Bogarts is missing. But even Trevor's story, you would love to have him in there. You know, Justin Turner has been fine. And it's just it's just not a great offensive group. And, and Rafi just cannot do it on his own. And, I mean, Duvall looked like a hell of a, a find. Even he wasn't going to you know keep up the the thousand slugging percentage. But if he's out now, I mean, this is this is brutal. This is a brutal watch. It's a really bad offense. Yeah, like it's so, it's yeah. Rafi Devers, and Verdugo's totally solid. Like Verdugo's yeah, like fine. a good big league player, but yeah. the catching spot is meh. Tristan Cassis looks terrible so far. Arroyo bad, Kike bad. Um, Yu Chang, I believe, is zero for fourteen, zero for yep. thirteen. Bobby Dahlbeck was playing shortstop the other day, and could, to me, could we talk? We have to talk about Bobby Dahlbeck playing shortstop. Okay. Yeah, let's. I, that's what I was about to talk about. Oh, okay. Ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Bobby Dahlbeck playing shortstop to me is a sign that the front office was too stubborn or had the lack of foresight to acquire a real shortstop when Trevor Story went down, and then when they traded for Adalberto Mondesi, and duh, he was hurt when they traded for him. He was unavailable. And there were shortstops on the open market like Jose Iglesias and Andrew Alton Simmons and even like Didi Gregorius, who was like an adult shortstop. I guess maybe not anymore. Uh, they didn't do any of those things. And so they tried to shoehorn a guy who should be at first base, but mostly playing third base at shortstop. First ball of the game, hit right to him, makes the play. Second ball of the game in the first inning, hit right to him, and he just boots a r- routine play. Like, what did you expect was going to happen? It's just such unserious behavior to do something like this. Good teams don't have to do these things. Yeah. Uh, weirdest thing about the Dahlbeck free cut yesterday is I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. 
He played a whole game at shortstop last year. No recollection of that. No recollection. I know this was in late August. But he started a game at shortstop against the Blue Jays um, in on August 24th last year. Played 10 innings, in fact. I do not remember that whatsoever. Uh, but your point is still totally accurate. And it's not fair to Bobby Dahlbeck, right? Why are we shoving him into the game? And the fact that, that I guess the Kike at short has gone so poorly that this is your backup plan. Like, I know we, we're dealing with injuries, but it's just a tough watch. So panic button is maybe like, you know, how optimistic were we to begin with? Are we panicking? Like, no, I just think they're bad. Well, <laughs> so yeah, but I think, panic button. I think yeah. the front office and Red, some Red Sox fans were optimistic yeah, to they start were. the year. They were. And I, yeah. I was slamming the panic button when they were Before. zero and zero. <laughs> yes. And at this That's point, fair. I'm leaping on the panic button. Yeah, because this is the other thing. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not seeing. What, like, yeah, they can't be this bad. Some of these hitters can't be this bad. But I'm not seeing the obvious fixes at all. And no. so that's that's where I'm most concerned. Not to mention, of course, you're in the best division. So sorry. They need David Ortiz and Dustin Pedroia. Those are the yeah. fixes. Let's move on to the Seattle Mariners. Mm. Heard of them? I have admittedly not watched a whole lot of the Mariners, and that's because I know you are. Yeah. And so I will just kick it to you. What is the level of panic in the fan base? And what is the level of panic for you? So again, if you're listening to this, you're like, talk about Kelnick. Don't worry, I will later. Let's talk about everything that's not Kelnick. Um, what is going wrong? They decided to have a DH rotation instead of an actual adult DH. Now the people craving for Nelson Cruz, I don't know if that's necessarily what they needed. Uh, but the DH rotation of Pollock and Jake's face is, is lighting up Pollock and Cooper Hummel and, you know, getting Sam Haggerty and Tommy LaStella in there. Like that, that like the Red Sox, it's like you looked at it, it's like this should not be the plan. And it has been bad, right? It has been bad. The bigger issue in the first couple of weeks was really the pitching was walking more guys than they really ever had. They have some injuries to the bullpen. The bullpen hasn't been as good. Um, and you know, they've just had some, some clunkers in the, in the starting rotation that haven't been as good. Of course, now Robbie Ray's out. Um, and so that combined with a couple, just like humiliating one run losses that they have been winning often over the last few seasons have kind of put them in a tough spot at the same time. Some of the most important players, Ty France has been tremendous. Julio has been, you know, eh, not, he's not been amazing, but he's had his moments. Luis Castillo, I think, is a legitimate AL Scion candidate. He has been everything you could possibly ask him for. And some of the other bullpen guys that you've never heard of, like Trevor Gott and Gabe Spire and Penn Murphy, have been awesome. So there is still a good team here. It's just not been going super well so far, and there is parts of the offense that is super frustrating. All right, well, Jake, you're you're really looking, like, troubled over uh, on your side of the Zoom. What's going on? Um, I had never heard of Cooper Hummel. Mm-hmm. Before about three minutes ago, really? Yeah, I had it. Was he with maybe with the Diamondbacks? They got him for the Diamondbacks. That's, that's who they got for Kyle Lewis. Oh well, you know who would be good in that spot, Kyle Lewis, because yeah, well, Co- Kyle Lewis is already on the also, IL again. Yeah, but. I know. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, Cooper Hummel is two for eighteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing that really caught my attention, Jordan, is mm-hmm. Colton Wong being three yeah, for thirty-eight. I'm, yeah. So Colton Wong has been as horrific as you could possibly imagine. Uh, and I mean, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Like <laughs> that's one where, you know, you, you thought you were getting an upgrade on Adam Frazier and so far you have not, I, I'm still, I mean, he's one where he's had horribly cold starts before, 
And I think his the offensive improvements he's made over the last few seasons do seem convincing. But yeah, he's objectively been terrible so far. And so there's no way around that. Teoscar, on the other hand, started cold for the first week and a half. And people were freaking out. I'd be like, oh my God, he's worse than Winker. He's heating up. I'm not worried about Teoscar in the slightest. He has started to put some swings on balls where where he's looked good. And, and again, like the, the important parts of the offense, and I'll talk about Kelly later, like there's still a, a really good top of the lineup here. You know, Suarez has been good. Um, Raleigh's had his his big swing. So I, I'm I'm a little disappointed. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not panicking yet, but you know, I know I'm the ultimate optimistic Mariners fan. I think this team is a bad away for being a legitimate postseason. That was true. That was true. Like I <laughs> season, right, yeah. The pitching yeah. is really good. Um mm-hmm. Even if some guys have underwhelmed, like I think Kirby is better than this. Yeah, I am worried about Robbie Ray. Like I think that that contract, you could make an argument that that contract certainly doesn't belong in the Javi Baez conversation, but is maybe not that far away. Dude, Robbie Ray has been bad as a Mariner. He has not performed up to snuff as a Mariner. They well, gave him $110 million, and that is such a large portion of what they want to pay as a payroll. And like he's been bad. What do you want me to say? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think he's been bad. He's he certainly hasn't been a Cy Young winner, and I don't think like I think the contract is really not well. Now he's hurt. He's hurting out for a while, so I don't really know what to say about him right now. It doesn't feel like a fair time to really evaluate him. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that someone who's giving you you know 200 innings of league average uh, performance, where in the middle of the season he gave you two months of like well above league average performance, like. That is really valuable, um, and he's not making that much. But I, it's a fair point, and we know that they've been self self restricted with their with their payroll, yeah. and that's been frustrating. But I agree. I mean, the injury is just more of an issue because now you're you're dipping into depth that you didn't think you were going to have to this quickly. Uh, but yeah, no, they're they're a bat away, maybe multiple bats away, and uh, that's frustrating. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not panicking yet. It's just been kind of a, an annoying start. They should go get Jake Fraley back from the Reds. All right, let's uh, move on to two more teams here. Let's go to St. Louis next, if that's okay. The St. Louis Cardinals are currently in last place in the NL Central. They are five and eight. They have a run differential of minus eight. Just minus eight. That's really not that bad. Uh, St. Louis Cardinals, Jordan, how much are you panicking? Yeah, I would say this is a weird one too because if you haven't been following the Cardinals closely – all you really know is that Jordan Walker's been awesome. <laughs> Jordan Walker has a hit, you know, in did, did his streak finally end? Yeah, it um, ended yesterday. Ended yesterday. So he had, you know, a hit in his in his first 12 games. Um and you know the the power's been been not totally there but like Gorman's been great. Like Goldie looks just just as good as ever. And so a lot of the pieces if you're really not paying that close attention even if you know the pitching was questionable, you're like, "Okay, it's fine." But man oh man, Michaelis. Ooh. Dude, 29 hits allowed in 14 innings? I mean, that's that's really hard to do in in Major League Baseball, honestly, in general. Also, when your defense is that good, too. You know, like, we know Miles Michaelis is letting the balls get put in play, but that tells me that they are crushing the balls in play. That's very concerning. Uh, weirdly, you know, Jordan Montgomery's been tremendous. You know, that that's, that's an acquisition that has proven to look very, very good. And parts of this offense are still hitting. So the pitching is just, <laughs> I know we were worried about it, but this is not a great look for them so far. They should merge together with the Mariners. That would be mm-hmm. my opinion. I think that would make a really, really good team. Mariners a couple bats away. I think mm-hmm. the Cardinals are probably like a couple arms away. We had enough faith in them at the beginning of the year to play good enough defense with 
the no strikeout pitching staff that when it was all said and done, they would be better than the Brewers because the offense is so good. Mm-hmm. I think if Michaelis and Mats really are just like 70 ERA plus type guys, they might actually have some problems because well, even though Jack Flair, Jack Flaherty, even, yeah. yeah, sorry, they, they're blah, 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 blah. what? Well, they don't even, who are they even going to turn to? Like, I'm not even sure who, like, are, are we already, you know, pressing the Gordon Graceffo button? Like, I just, it's not like, that's something that the Mariners really do have and, and that the Cardinals don't. Like, I'm not even sure what the backup plan is if these veterans are bad. Yeah. I, oof. And, like, Flaherty has been a little smoke and mirrors here. He has a 244 ERA plus. He's allowed uh, three runs in 15 innings, but he's also walked 13 in 15. Uh, sorry, walked 14 in 15. And so, like, how sustainable is that? Mm, I don't know. This team is very bizarre. Do you still have them as your favorite in the NL Central, or are you already pivoting to the Brewers? Uh, I mean, I, I, I've i been the high guy in St. Louis. It's weird because, like, so if Gorman is this good and, like, Walker is this good right away, like, this offense should still be one of the best in the league. Like, I, I, I do really believe that. And so... I don't know if I'm totally going to get off them now, but I, I'm definitely worried. And, and Wilson Contreras, I, and I know he took had some some you know minor injuries really early on, and maybe that's hampered him. But he simply has been a non-factor offensively so far, and that was something that we really thought could take this offense to another level. He has not done that whatsoever, and so I think we're kind of waiting on that to maybe contribute as well. But the pitching is the most important thing, and it has been it has been no bueno. And until they figure that out, I, I am going to be a little bit worried because Milwaukee has looked very good. The Milwaukee's look really good in an interesting way, which is like Freddie Peralta looks healthy and back, right? Giving them a third co-ace atop their rotation. Yeah. And their young hitters like Garrett Mitchell and Joey Joey Weimer and Bryce Tarang all look pretty real. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, three additional bats in the rotation probably ending up being like two because one of them will be worse than we think. But uh, I will stick with the Cardinals for now. I'm not ready to totally hop on the panic button because we've seen this organization figure it out so many times. And they have Arenado and Goldschmidt in the lineup. That said, what I love about this is we now have something like just look. I know it's three weeks, but looking at the NL Central standings, they are already more compelling than they've been in so long. <laughs> and so like the fact that the Pirates are hanging around and the Cubs look solid and the Reds are not terrible. Like this is going to be an interesting race. It will not be a total snooze fest by August the way sometimes it has been. Okay, let's do it. The Phillies, the 2023 Phillies, the child of one of my favorite teams of all time, the 2022 Phillies. They are four and nine. They are in last place. I watched. I watched loss number nine last night. IRL. I saw they, it. They especially don't look good. That is part of the problem is that the vibes are off. And this was a vibe machine last year. I am worried, uh, certainly, but I'll let you start because you did see them live yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to start with the pitching with them as well. Uh, the guys that you were really counting on and Nola and Wheeler have been fine. Not, I mean, Nola has not been fine, but, you know, Wheeler has generally looked like himself. You know, you bring in Taiwan Walker hoping to really stabilize the middle of that uh, the middle of that rotation, and he looks so good in the WBC. He has not been amazing so far. Suddenly, Matt Strom is in the rotation, and he's been really good. I don't know if that was 
entirely the plan, but but you know you have that. But the bullpen has been as volatile and even worse than you could have possibly imagined. Like this is the this kind of stretch and some of these <laughs> some of these runs here with the Phillies bullpen is not just reminiscent of, of 2020 and 2021, but I thought we would be dealing with this in July and August. Like this is really what I could have imagined dealing with in the middle of the season where it's just like, oh my God, like the Phillies are good, but what are they going to do about that bullpen? And instead it's kind of torpedoed their start. And I know that we're all waiting on Bryce and Reese is out and it's just, it's weird because there are some things really going well on offense. Like Bo Marsh and Stott look so good, so good, so good, so good. But Trey Turner has not exactly carried his momentum over uh, from the WBC and Real Muto has not hit at all. And so you're just left with kind of a very unbalanced offense and one that is not nearly good enough to make up for what is just a really messy pitching staff. Yeah, the bullpen is the biggest concern for me because I think this team is going to hit enough. I'm not worried about that. Especially like they don't need Bohm, Stott, uh, and Marsh to all be real. If just two or one of them is real, it's still an incredible lineup. Nick Castellanos has looked somewhat better so far this year, even though he's swinging a ridiculous he, amount of I the mean, time still. Yeah, he's leading the league in strikeouts, but he does look better, which is a weird <laughs> a weird combination, but I do agree. The issue for me is Nola, is that Nola has just looked poo-poo. He's got a 7.04 ERA that's 12 earned runs and 15 frames. Still striking guys out, but he's just getting hit really hard. And him and Wheeler are supposed to just be dogs atop that rotation where they're they're winning 75% of the games that those guys are starting, right? And then you take your chances with Bailey Falter coin flip down below. But like, if they're not getting that, that's a problem. I know Ranger Suarez is out for a little bit. When he gets back, that should stabilize things. But I am really, really worried about this bullpen because besides Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jose Alvarado, there's really no one I trust. Yeah, and Dominguez has not been good. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a weird group, and and that's you run that risk that sure the best version of Craig Kimbrell and Gregory Soto makes your bullpen really scary. How often are you getting that? Not very often right now. <laughs> and so, and but you could have seen that coming too. And so that's also frustrating because it's it's weird because it's almost. Are they missing Nick Maton and Matt Veerling? Yeah, to some degree. I'd rather have Matt Veerling than Pache and, you know, Maton than Cody Clemens. But as we said, like, the offense is not a huge concern right now. Like, if yeah. those three young guys are going to be this good, I'm not that worried. But, God, they just like, need just... They need someone to resurrect the vibes. Like, yeah. they need to, you know, somebody needs to run to the clubhouse and, like, you know, like take their pants off and... yeah. Pour like chocolate syrup on their head. Like do something weird, guys. Let's also let's also take the time to acknowledge the real big Phillies news this week is that Bryce Harper's learning to play first base. And that is, I think, a fascinating kind of development. It's not gonna get him back hitting faster, but it does sound like it's gonna if he can successfully learn first base and they feel comfortable putting him there, it does give them more flexibility. And to me, what it says is <laughs> Bryce looking at the roster. And he basically said this in his quotes to, to Matt Gelb, basically being like, you know, I want to help this team win, duh. But like without Reese, it's a rotating door at first base right now. They don't have an answer there. And so he realizes we got a lot of DHs on this team already. Any additional position I can play will help maneuver this lineup 
a little bit better. And so I'm not surprised Harper's taking that step. We'll see what that looks like. We'll see if it actually does kind of get him back in the field faster. Either way, the fact that it sounds like we are going to have him back hitting before the All-Star break is pretty amazing. Uh, But that's not happening in the next few weeks, and they're going to have to course correct pretty quickly because (laughs) the Braves are not going to slow down, and the Mets are still going to win a good number of baseball games. I will say, to conclude, Red Sox, hop all over the panic button. Mariners, I would keep it close. My keep the panic on, button close. <laughs> I would put my finger on it, but not press down. St. Louis don't need the panic button at all. Philly, it's in the room for me. Okay, I'm not hitting it. it, but all my energy is being spent jumping on the Red Sox panic button. Also, uh, the White Sox and Astros, who are both under 500. We'll talk about you in future weeks. We'll get to you. <laughs> and those are our, we'll save the panic button for those teams a little bit later, particularly the White Sox. Obviously not worried about Houston. Uh, all right, Jake, let us take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hit some news and notes, do good, bad, the ugly, and of course, ask some players why they haven't homered yet. Hey, everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. As two friends who have a collective 18 years of experience driving an IndyCar and one season of experience on Dancing with the Stars, we know what it takes to be successful on and off the track or dance floor. That's why each week we will give you a peek behind the front curtain and tell you what life is really like for professional IndyCar drivers and second place finishers on dancing television shows. Download Off Track with Hinch and Rossi on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Let's go through some news and notes, biking past your audio doorstep and chucking a podcast newspaper on your front stoop. And let's begin with the Ian Happ extension, three years, $61 million hairs to keep the longest tenured Cub in Chicago for another handful of seasons. Jordan is giving me a peace sign. Second longest tenured Cub. Kyle Hendricks is technically still in the Cubs, uh, but he is not. I don't know when he's supposed to be back or if he's ever going to pitch for them again. Uh, But yes, Ian Happ, I just wrote about him at Fox today. Um, Talking to him in spring, really interesting perspective because, you know, when he came up, he came up right after they won the World Series. May of 2017 is when he made his Major League debut. And he got to be around that core, but kind of as it was descending and then ultimately departing around him. All of those guys were gone. We thought Happ was going to be gone. You know, Wilson Contreras ultimately gone as well. So now you're left with just, it's just him. And as the Cubs are trying to get back up, it was like, is Ian Happ really going to leave now? Like, that seems like weird timing. He's always been consistent about wanting to stay with the Cubs. And if you're looking at this deal, I mean, it's a no-brainer for the Cubs. It is nice security for, for Ian Happ. But it's like, wow, he probably could have got a ton more on the open market. And I think that reflects how much he wanted to stay there. And, and I love to see it because he's he's perfect there for a lot of reasons. And uh, I, this is an easy one that just just makes me happy. And, and I'm glad that he's he's going to be sticking around there. Sometimes it is that simple. They asked him in the press conference, why here? And he was like, this is where I always wanted to be. Yeah. I'm being having a, a Cub, damn good time. Yeah. yeah. Being a Cub seems like a good time. Let's just zip through some unfortunate injuries. Uh, talking about injuries is bad podcasting, but it is the type of thing where there are some injuries that I literally did not know about. And so we, we hope to educate the masses. Uh, I will do this quickly. Here we go. O'Neill Cruz messed up his ankle on that slide. He's out for like four months or so. Adam Duvall, as you mentioned earlier, broke his wrist. Timetable TBD. Brandon Woodruff, IL, probably shoulder. Uh, mm. the shoulder. Yeah. 
think oh, so. Oh no. I could I I let me check that cuz there's a lot of shoulder trouble recently, which is the most terrifying thing that you can ever hear for a pitcher. Let me let me but confirm that for Woodruff. Shoulders in April could be <clears throat> slept on it weird or not built up enough or rotator cuff went kablooey. So who can know. Andres Munoz, Mariner reliever also with a shoulder issue. Tim Anderson knee two to four weeks. Yeah. Him and, uh, and Eloy Jimenez just cannot stay on the field, which is super unfortunate. Seth Brown out for four to six weeks with an oblique injury. The A season officially in shambles now that Seth Brown is out. Can I say something? Having watched that team the last couple nights against Baltimore, they can kind of hit a little bit, or maybe Baltimore just can't pitch it at all. But the arms, besides like Ken Waldachuk, are a really tough watch. Ken Waldachuk. Also not been very good. Herman Marquez is injured. Uh, again, torpedoing the Rocky season. Aaron Ashby is going to be out for a few more months. I was super excited about Aaron Ashby. He got uh, minor shoulder surgery, so he's out. Jake Rizzi was not the Rangers pitcher I was expecting to hit the IL first, but he's out for the year due to shoulder surgery. Zach Eflin has already hit the IL. That's why Taj Bradley came up. Matt Manning. A broken toe on a comebacker as if that, listen, I mean, this is just, that's not his fault, but that's just the kind of season the Tigers are probably going to have. That's a tough comeback story right there. Ian Anderson of the Braves getting Thomas Johnson surgery. And of course, Carlos Rodon, friend of the show, has yet to throw a pitch for the New York Yankees. He did just have a child. Congratulations to Carlos and Ashley on, I believe, uh, baby Silo, which Mm -hmm. is a great name for someone who lives on the farm. Uh, But we hope Carlos is back sooner rather than later. Yes. And then the most recent one is Corey Seager hitting the aisle with the hamstring strain. That one is notable because while the Rangers have played pretty well, he's really been their most consistent hitter by far. And I am am curious to see what that lineup looks like with Seager out for a while because it's not been super duper consistent. All right. Those are your injuries. One more piece of news uh, courtesy of Jeff Passan earlier this week is that uh, conversations of expansion slash relocation, but mostly expansion right now, have mostly focused on cities like Portland or Nashville or I know some people feel strongly about Montreal, which is reasonable, or, you know, Mexico City, whatever, right? But one city that has not really been at the forefront at any recent time, to my knowledge, but now is, is Salt Lake City. That is in Utah, Jake. Utah is a very odd state, and it is apparently a state that would like a Major League Baseball team. Jeff Passan reporting uh, that a group led by Gail Miller, who uh, is, the, I believe, the former owner of the, uh, the Utah Jazz, is uh, going to be going to try to bring a Major League team to Salt Lake City, Utah. There is a, a, <laughs> there's a chunk in here that, that refers to how the, you know, the, they're already the owners of the Salt Lake Bees, the AAA affiliate of the Los Angeles Angels, says, oh, their average attendance last year was 5,873, the 18th highest in minor league baseball. I'm like- Not impressive. Oh, okay. All right. That's, that's, that's I guess, some amount of people <laughs> go to those games. For AAA, I'm not that impressed by that. Um, and it's just kind of a weird one. This is a weird one. A weird one. Nothing inspires confidence like the descriptor, former owner of the Utah Jazz. There is nothing cooler that you can say about a person (laughs) than former owner of the Utah Jazz. Now, let me say how uh, much faith I have in this project or that it'll happen or how viable it is. I don't know. 
I don't know the inside of their market at all. I will say this from the outside, this would be lame as shit. That is my take, is that having a team in Salt Lake City, I no disrespect to the bees or anyone living in Salt Lake City. Like I am so much more excited about the idea of a team being in Portland or Nashville or Mexico City or Montreal mm-hmm. or Charlotte even. Mm-hmm. Like I, the idea of a team in Utah where we have to complain and think about balls flying like we already have in cores, right? I just am very underwhelmed. My favorite thing about this article is that Dale Murphy, who played for the Braves, Borderland Hall of Famer, won two MVP awards, uh, now lives there, is like quoted and is a part of this group. It's time, Murphy said. It can happen. It'd be a great market. There's a healthy love of baseball out here. Dale Murphy was born in Portland, Oregon, went to high school in Portland, Oregon, and was a part of the Portland Diamond Project's pitch to get a new baseball team and was like super involved in that group trying to get a team. So now Del Murphy has attached his name and his support to two competing projects to try yes. and get an expansion team. Just looks very bizarre. There was an article in the Oregon in the Oregonian this morning about Dale Murphy's, you know, back and forthness between the two projects. Yes. Um Dale Murphy I believe is Mormon. <laughs> and I think that had something to do with this because I'm pretty sure he had uh, some BYU ties and that's why he's uh, maybe maybe splitting. He's a split squad uh, <laughs> member for these expansion efforts. So that is something uh, to maybe consider. Now, I will say the thing that I'm fascinated by here, media market size discourse is, is in a very weird place right now because in yeah. this article... It references how Salt Lake City has a a media market larger than four major league teams, and those four major league teams. First of all, I don't, I, I, don't, I still don't really know what this means. I don't understand what media market size means. But the point is, is that the four teams that they are citing are Kansas City, yep. Cincinnati, Milwaukee, yep. and San Diego. <laughs> and San Diego is a reminder that all this is about, all any market is about, is how much the owner is going to pump into the team. Right. And so if someone wants to put a team in Salt Lake City and have a $250 million payroll, great. You know, like to me, it's really all about who wants to do it, who wants to spend the money to build a stadium. Obviously, that is unfortunately not the discussion because it is about who can they, you know, deceive into paying for the stadium and paying for XYZ and whatever. But that is why the media market part of it just never really matters to me because I think it's always going to be about the owner. And I think the Padres have proven that. Can't wait for opening day for the 2031 Utah Good Books playing (laughs) in the NL West. Let's take one more little quick break so that I can go blow my stuffed up nose. And we will be back after that with the good, the bad, the ugla. And why haven't you homered yet? And we're back here on the end of Baseball Barbacast, a Friday episode. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugla. Just to review, we will each share something good from the previous week in baseball. We will each share something bad. And we will each share something ugla in honor of the one and only baseball weirdo himself, Dan Ugla. Jordan, kick us off. Uh, You know who's been good? Jared Kelnick. He's been pretty good. Um, Not only did he hit three of the more impressive home runs in one series in successive order, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that I can remember seeing certainly at Wrigley Field, if not all by one player in the same series. 
I I just am bewildered at just how different and how confident he looks. I've made the joke to some people that the pitch timer could not be better for anybody than Jared Kelnick, who you could tell when you would watch him struggle over the last two years. Yes, there were some mechanical issues. Yes, there were some pitch recognition issues, particularly from left-handers and off-speed stuff. But just every between every strike you would take, he would step out and just feel the weight of the world on his shoulders and see how seriously he takes this. This is really this he is as as Ryan Davis referred to him as a baseball robot. And when the baseball's not going well for the baseball robot, that's it's going to start to, you know, Beep, bop, get a little bop. messy. Yeah. It's gonna get it's gonna get, you know, uncomfortable. And now, I mean, he just looks as smooth as ever. I mean, let's just talk about the home runs because you've seen the videos. I know you haven't watched every single one of his at bats. I mean, forget the one in center. I know Kellnick talked about the one he hit to left center being his favorite one. Of course, oh, anyone could pull a home run and hit backside homers are the best. But just it, it's a reminder of how strong this dude is, man. Like, I know the wind was blowing out, but this is just some ridiculous home runs. He's way up there in the hard hit rate leaderboard. And it's just great to see him comfortable and kind of remind remind people how talented he is in and of himself. He's not necessarily a complete hitter. He's still swinging and missing a lot, but he could hit 30 home runs really easily just hitting the shit out of fastballs down the middle, which it, it was so funny in spring training. It's like, oh, all these home runs are off off mistakes. It's like, yeah, that's like half of being a good major league hitter. You better hit the pitches you're supposed to. And that's, that's a good way to rack up the stats for any... We had the same stupid discussion with Aaron Judge last year, right? Where it was like he had this run where all these pitchers were right down the middle. And it's like, oh, how impressive is this? Someone was like, well, he's doing it. <laughs> so not everyone is doing it. There are a lot of fastballs thrown down the middle in the big leagues. And they don't all get deposited 482 to dead center. What have you seen from Kelnick so far from a not Mariners fan uh, perspective? I mean, he hit the ball all the way all the way up there. Yeah, Like I've never seen a ball go all the way up there. Yeah. And and that's that's it. Really, honestly, like that just just like you said, a reminder that even though he's only six one, this is a strong boy with a big swing. Do you remember sitting up there when we when we went to Wrigley? Like that is just not a spot that feels reachable. Uh, and so, yeah, that's uh, if you've ever been there, you really understand how how remarkable it is. And I'm I'm excited to see how real any of this is. He going to slug 700? Probably not. But if he can be if he can be above average and hit 30 home runs. Wow. That'd be so much fun. The other person in recent years who came relatively close to hitting a ball up to that deck in Wrigley Field was Fernando Tatis Jr. back in his weird Navy and white Padres days. And that is my good because last night at AAA, Fernando Tatis Jr. hit three home runs, five hits, eight RBIs in El Paso, Texas. He is ready to go. We are six days away from the Tatis return as a reminder you can feel mad about this, that he is a cheetor, or you can feel happy about this, that he is one of the most exhilarating players in baseball and is set to return. I'm sure we will talk a lot about it next week. But last night, he just obliterated the Albuquerque isotopes. And I think it's hilarious. And if you have to face him at AAA and you're mad, totally understandable. I love the idea of him just falling in love with the city of El Paso and never leaving and just torching the Pacific League forever. You yeah, know? I would also, uh, how you transition this, the home run that he hit in Chicago in 2019 is, it, I mean, I, I, I like vaguely remembered it when I went back to watch it, but when you watch it, now, yes, the ball, this is, I mean, as juice as the ball has been, right, at this point, 2019, but the kind of, it's, it's a reminder of, of how 
ridiculously strong he is too but with him he he doesn't look ripped it's like in the wrists and the bat speed and and you see the ball carry in ways that it just doesn't with other hitters and yeah he had obviously last night some of those home runs were just like oh my god (laughs) so yeah he's he's coming he sure is coming 451 to center wearing a triple a baseball jersey that said margaritas across the chest jordan what is your bad Oh, it's probably your bad. We got to talk about Javi Baez, Jake. Yeah. Now, here's the sad part. So, like, last night as I was um, falling asleep, I was like, oh, we got good, bad, ugly tomorrow. What am I going to do? I'm looking at some leaderboards. And, oh, my God. There's Javier Baez. There he is on offense. He's swinging more than ever. But the weirdest part is he's not even striking out that much. He's not even striking out that much. He has like a 17% strikeout rate, and yet he's hitting 122. He has a 146 slugging percentage. And I was thinking about how lost he's looking at the plate. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so sad. I wake up, I open Twitter, and the first thing I see is this base running blunder by Javi Baez that I had not seen when I was thinking last night (laughs) about how bad he has been on offense. And then I believe he was benched um, after that. And this is just sad. It just makes me really depressed. I know how talented this guy still is. I know that he's not going to be at his best when he plays on a shitty team. I just don't know where we're going with this. I don't know what the solution is. Honestly, what it reminds me of, and this is kind of not a fair comparison because the person I'm about to bring up was still productive in some senses, even for bad teams, but in the same discourse of why can't he change, it's Russell Westbrook. Like, I know you haven't followed the NBA as closely recently, but like the discourse around Russell Westbrook where it was like, he's got to go to the bench. He's got to figure out how to play a different way. <laughs> he cannot keep doing this. This is not a sustainable version of Russell Westbrook. And at no point he's been like, no, nah, I'm just going to keep being the same. Now in basketball, you can kind of will your way to still being productive, right? And still being helpful in certain parts of the game. It doesn't work that way in baseball. And so I don't know where this is going. I don't know how you fix this. As I mentioned, it's not even like he's striking out 40% of the time like you would assume by watching him. But he's swinging at everything. He's just chopping balls. He's popping out. He's making horrible base running mistakes. And it just makes me sad. So Tigers stink. Uh, He's not the reason they stink. But because they stink, I don't know how he's going to find his way out of this. He's not the reason they don't stink. That's for sure. (laughs) I mean, he's got an opt-out, hilariously, at the end of this year, which I doubt he will exercise unless he figures some things out. This contract has four more years on it after this one, and it is already looking like an absolute disaster. This is okay. I'm glad you mentioned the opt out because, like, again, no way this would happen, right? I don't think. Why is he going to leave? There's no way he's leaving $100 million on the table. But, like, this is just a situation where it's like, if he just decides to, like, I don't want to play on the Tigers anymore. I just need to go somewhere else. The problem is, again, who's giving him more than... Like, what, what would he sign? Like, what would you give him? Let's say Javi Baez is a free agent after this. This is unfair. Let's say he was a free agent after last year, okay? Let's say yeah. he had... Let's say after last year, when, again, just to remind everybody, last year, while his defense was still good and that kept his his war, you know, reasonably high. You know, he's a 2.6 win player, but 93 OPS plus last year, okay? Like 340. 340, right? Okay. 330. And if he's... It's same version as last year, but it's slightly worse than what? You know, he's going into his age 31 season. I mean, it's one year deal. Like, I just don't know. Like, I don't. 
Didi Gregorius is still a free agent, Jordan. Oh, my God. By the way, Elvis Andrews has been really bad. So it's not like there's, <laughs> I was going to mention that before. But anyway, okay. Javi uh, Baez makes me sad. What's your bad? My bad is Aaron Judge getting pulled last night. Mm. Um, also getting removed from a game. He did not do anything wrong. It's important to note that. Benched. He was not being punished like Javi Baez, who was being punished. Aaron Judge had a very historic 45-game on-base streak, which I believe tied the all-time Yankees record. Um, nodding him with Jeter, I believe. Well, that 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 can't wait. So, how long was the how long was the, was the streak? Oh wait, that doesn't make sense. It can't be the Yankees' <laughs> record because DiMaggio had a longer hit. Streak. I was like, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I can think of one other one that was longer. <laughs> yeah, that's impossible. Well, what what a yip on that one. Uh, it was. I'm trying to look at it. One of 99 streaks ever, and the live ball era to go that long. Mm-hmm. The longest of the 2000s was Orlando Cabrera. The all-time record is Ted Williams. He did in 84 games. This is from a YanksGoYard.com article. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what's funny about this is that, so he gets pulled at a 45-game streak, which if it was a hit streak, never, ever, 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 ever would happen. And that's mm-hmm. because hit streaks are cooler to people than on-base streaks. And that's totally understandable. Mm-hmm. But also, getting on base like by a walk is just as cool as usually getting a single. Right. I feel like we've established that. Oh, yeah. I think we know that now in baseball. And he got pulled as a def- for a defensive replacement in the eighth inning of a blowout for Aaron Hicks, who took his last at bat. Incredible. And so instead of Judge getting the opportunity to keep his on base streak going, nope, Aaron Hicks. Yeah. Also, like at that point, like I why didn't they pull him earlier for really trying to get Aaron Judge rest? It's probably should be in the game where the twins are absolutely kicking your ass instead of waiting until the eighth inning. But uh, yeah, weird decision. And I agree. That is that is bad. Bad managing Aaron Boone. Well, it's it's like, what do we count as historic? Okay, because if Ted Williams is at 84 consecutive games (laughs) and let's say Judge is at 81, he's not Mm -hmm. pulling him. Right. Mm -hmm. He's giving him every shot. Mm -hmm. So I just find it very goofy. I mean, whatever. Who cares? Who cares about the hit streaks? I do. Mm-hmm. I think I care. Jordan, what's your ugla? My ugla, maybe this is your ugla. I want to talk about Darren Ruff. Oh, wow. I also want to talk about the Giants, but not Darren Ruff. Okay. So uh, Darren Ruff is now on the Giants. <laughs> Again. Again. He had a big double against uh, the Dodgers the other night. Um, there was some reporting uh, done by Andrew Baggerly. I don't know if this ever came out last year, but uh, he did an interview with Andrew Baggerly, of course, The Athletic, about how, you know, why he struggled in New York and how his father passed away during last season and how he was really struggling with that off the field. And that carried over, of course, into his Mets tenure that was really disappointing. But I'm more focused on, I mean, yes, it's funny. He's, you know, he's back on the Giants and of course, but just like that general concept of, it's almost the opposite of the the the, the Javi Baez discussion we just had, right? It's like, how can someone look, just be, it's it's just a reminder of, of how comfort levels for these players can make such a big difference. And it is just not that difficult. Is Darren Ruff going to be the hitter that he was for the Giants before the trade? I, I don't think so. But the, the fact that, you know, when he gets DFA'd, it's like, oh, just go back to the Giants and just recapture magic. Like, is it really that simple? Like, is this a hilarious baseball thing that will never get old for me? And I'm wishing him the best because obviously it's not like he wanted to be as bad as he was with the Mets. And it's obviously tough to do that in New York. And the expectations were, were so high. I mean, that trade was insane at the, at the time. And as we've said with many trades in the past, 
That's not the player's fault. The player is not asking to be traded for way too much and then have all the pressure on them for it, right? That's never how that works. And so that was something that he was always dealing with as well. Uh, But to see him have any amount of success for the Giants this year is very funny, but also cool and in uh, ultimately uh, ugla. Here's my ugla. Taylor Rogers, a reliever on the Giants, did something very rare the other night against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Taylor Rogers entered the game from the bullpen. He walked four consecutive hitters. I meant to look this up. Recording an out and then was pulled from the game. Entering the game, walk, 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 walk. I believe the final walk was like a 15 pitch at bat against mm-hmm. Freddie Freeman. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Go watch the whole thing. It was awesome. It was the 13th time in the wild card era. So since 1993, 1994, I guess, um, where a guy came into the game, walked four hitters, and then that was it, and then left. Four, no all one four has batters ever, he faced were walks. All four batters were walks. No one has ever done five. Now, the thing that I added to this is he is the only guy in the expansion era to do this and get a loss. And so that tells me that he is the only one I would imagine to like blow the game and then his team ends up losing the game. Billy Wagner did this once and got a blown save. He's the only guy who didn't and got a blown save. Hmm. But Rodgers is the first player in the expansion era since 1961 to come to a baseball game, go walk, 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 leave and get the loss. I'm trying to figure out what that tells me. I guess that would tell me that a pitcher who's more likely to do this is probably not coming into high leverage situations. And the does not get a four batter. Is. Well, they don't get a four batter leash. Right. Well, that that too. That too. Because you're like, oh, it's still Rodgers. He's not going to walk a third guy. He's not going to walk a fourth guy. And it's like, okay. Um, but then, right, obviously, the, the, the rest of the um, – bullpen behind you in the game scenario that is very interesting but yeah it's that's really really hard to do uh but hey pitch clock you know moved it along a little bit faster i know you had the long freddie freeman at bat but got it over with a little bit quicker which is good was that the outing when they saw they showed video of him putting his glove in the trash yes yes so that's (laughs) it so they take him out he walks to the dugout and he takes his glove and he just very calmly deposits it into the dugout garbage can so what's your take on that? Because I'm trying to because so like you know, uh, batter I, I strikes would say out. Give it to a firefighter or a kid or a teacher. Oh yeah, there's so many know? places you can give that glove. Like even though you just blew the game, like a kid would love to have your glove. They what? asked him after the game, "Where's your glove?" And he said, "Probably still in the trash can. I didn't go and get it." Um. Was it the glove's fault? He should have like chucked the pitch com in the trash or the hat or like, or the, I mean, I don't know. It's just an interesting kind of right. parallel there. Like he didn't make an error. <laughs> right, 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 right. You're not blaming it on his, on his, on his, maybe he, what, maybe they were selling about that glove. Clearly, right. He, he's, he just needed a hard reset. But I think the main takeaway is that glove probably could have gone to a better place. All right. Let's preview the week ahead. That was our good, the bad, the ugly. Bunch of games this weekend. No day games today, unfortunately. Yeah, Jordan. Well, I wanted to. I wanted to ask why haven't you homered yet? I wanted to. I wanted to. Oh, do sorry. It. Oh, so yeah. sorry. Yes, we we got. What, what, all, well, I know. Well, we'll get. We'll get to our weekend preview. I got. I got. I got to put some of these guys out here because because Jake, while the ball is not 2019 juiced, it seems to be at least a little bit livelier than it was a year ago, as the home run rates are at least a little bit up from last year. And this is the reason why I wanted to do this is because the one I was focusing on the most 
was Manny Machado. But last night, he finally gave us his first home run of the year. So he's off. He's off. He's 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 off the radar. We don't have to worry about him. But again, the way this works, I just pull up the leaderboard for most played appearances without a home run. And I ask them, and Jake has to answer on their behalf, why they haven't homered yet. And we will do this every few weeks or so as this leaderboard piles up. Are you ready, sir? Uh-huh. All right. We're just going to bounce around the top 15 or so. And we are going to begin with someone we've already mentioned, and that is Mr. Trey Turner. You couldn't stop homering in the WBC. So, Trey, why haven't you homered yet in the regular season? Because he's a true patriot. He loves his nation. He loves his country. Okay? He's not about his company, his employer. Okay? He's about his national pride. And so he used up all of his home run juice for America. I like him getting one in these three remaining games in Cincinnati. We'll see. (laughs) I think that one's coming pretty soon. All right, our next one, we head to the American League and ask one of my favorite hitters in baseball why he hasn't slugged a long ball yet. Jose Abreu, why haven't you homered yet? That's a really, really good question. I think it has something to do with the way Jose Abreu's... Do I have to answer these as me? Am I answering these in the third <laughs> or the first person? I always forget. It's, you can you can improv it however you so desire. Great. You can. <laughs> uh, I would say that Jose Abreu's inability to whack a dong has to do with the way that his goatee plays inside the dome. Mm-hmm. So I think that the weird goatee ponytail look, uh, because of the difference in airflow in an indoor stadium in Minute Maid has changed the way that he rotates through the zone. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, Definitely real science there. Uh, Two more for you. This one just hurts my soul. Joey Manasis. I mean, if there was one thing we we were going to count on for the Nationals this year, it was that uh, Kabayoi would be launching balls over the fence. And instead, he has zero in 53 play appearances. Joey Manasis, why haven't you homered yet? Because I wasn't real. Oh, man. Really? Yeah. Dude? Yeah. I, I wasn't real. Ugh. I think maybe a little bit of it was I got hot. A little bit was that oh, man. I was on the juice in Japan and got popped over there. And no one noticed. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and I came over here and I was really good. Uh, but I, I might not be real. I might just be a Joey Manessis barrage. That sucks. All right. There's more than one Cleveland Guardian I can pick for this one. But I'm just going to start. With Josh Bell, who has been not very good to start this season. He's not the only Cleveland Guardian who's not homered yet. But Josh Bell, you were brought in to hit the ball over the fence. Why haven't you homered yet? He's uncomfortable not being the best switch hitter on a team, I think, is the problem here. (laughs) Next to Jose Ramirez, who is maybe the best switch hitter of his generation. And for Josh Bell, one of the taller people in baseball to have to live in the shadow of one of the shorter people in baseball, I'm sure is very humbling for him as a switch hitting giant. Jose Ramirez also doesn't have a homer yet. Very weird, but we will finish there. We will not ask him to his face, at least for a couple more weeks. Thank you, Jake, for standing in for our uh, homerless heroes. And now we can preview the weekend. Jake, which series are you most excited for? Coming up this weekend, some of them have already started. We've been talking about mops. We've got a couple four-game series um, already in progress, including the Reds and Phillies. But who do you got? Uh, I would say Tampa Toronto is the one I'm going to be watching the most just to see will the Rays continue to win? 
or will they finally lose? Yankees twins should be fun the rest of the weekend after the twins bludgeon them into submission in the first game last night. I'll be at the game tonight and probably at the game on Sunday for that one. I am nervous about the Phillies, so I would love for them to pick up a win or two or even three in Cincinnati over the next couple of days. And then the other one I'm very interested in is Texas and Houston, because Texas has looked like a legitimate ball club, maybe not a playoff team, but certainly somebody who's not a joke. And going into Houston, which, you know, in-state rivalry, Houston's the big behemoth. If they can go off and and compete with the Astros, I'll be very impressed. Good call there. Uh, As you mentioned, Phillies, Reds, Twins, Yankees, Pirates, Cardinals, four-game series underway. And the last four-game series underway, Brewers, Padres. Fun one last night. That's one in terms of just like, okay, like National League, National League contenders here. Certainly seeing Milwaukee get that first one in San Diego. Very impressive. So that's probably the one uh, I'm watching the closest. And I could I could envision some pretty entertaining last few innings uh, of the Orioles-White Sox series. I could imagine that could get uh, a little messy. By the way, Adley Rutschman walk-off home run. Shouts out Kevin Brown for an outstanding call. Um, but yeah, there's that. that's one that I think I'm going to be locked in on pretty much uh, pretty, pretty well. Angels, uh, Red Sox in a disaster yeah. bowl. <laughs> Angels, I just, I, they're, they're fine. They, they've been pretty good, but this could be one where, you know, maybe Boston gets, gets a little right at home, gets some, some offensive cooking going there at home. All right, Jake, we did it. We did a podcast. How exciting. Thank you all for listening to this Episode of Baseball Barbercast. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. We will get back to your emails in the future. Baseball Barbercast at gmail.com, B A R B Cast. And we'll be back on Monday. Will the Rays be 17, sorry, 16 and 0? Stay tuned. No. Serious XM Podcasts.